Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Every fall, leaves come down, and they get collected, and they go away. At the same time, we have election signs that go up and then come down with the leaves. You might notice that the trend in my intro here is it's very similar to the last episode about getting out the vote. Today, we're going to continue that conversation and talk about how we have reevaluated our ward boundaries, which then led to new polling places, and how that all came about. Joining me is Dover's Deputy Mayor, Dennis Shanahan, who was part of the Ordinance Committee that led the charge to review the ordinance, which set out the ward boundaries. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here, Mr. Parker. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for coming. Now, I said that the Ordinance Committee was behind this, and that's not typical. And if the city attorney were here, I'd ask him to do a, a long legal background as to why that was the case. But uh, previously, it was in the charter, and, and the council elected to move that. Yes. Uh, it became pretty clear that, as with many things that have happened over the last three years, this was going to be an unusual situation. Uh, if you think back on the 2020 census, the delays that got baked in due to the pandemic and the inability of the census takers, the census workers, to go door to door for quite a quite a period of time during the time they would typically be doing that, I really led to a set of delays. And ultimately, that delay caused us to reflect on how we were going to be able to get our wards reconfigured if necessary, and it turns out to be necessary, to to be reconfigured in time to be placed on a ballot last November. And by the time the the results were available, it confirmed the fact that, no, we were not going to have enough time to be able to do that. One of the, the key things to keep in mind is that any ballot question that gets distributed to the voters on election day has to be vetted through a number of state agencies. Uh, and they have a, a set timeline. So as we drew back that timeline from the, the day of the election, we said, if we don't have the results by this date, which may have been, I think, in March, I think was maybe our drop dead date, we were going to have to do something different. And that thing done differently this year was a two-step process. One is we did develop a question that was put on the ballot, which amended the charter, and it removed the specific descriptions of the ward boundaries from the charter and allowed an ordinance to be developed to reflect that. And the whole reason behind this, as you indicated, is the wards need to be balanced, and you have a census that occurs every 10 years, hence the name census. And looking at our population, we find that in 2020, we have more residents than we had in 2010. And then we go through this balancing act. How do you recall that balancing act occurring? Well, we uh, we met with staff, planning staff, including yourself, and we made basically a set of ground rules on how we were going to do that. The goal being divide the city into six perfectly evenly divided wards probably not something that's practically achievable. So the next question is, well, how equivalent do you want each ward to be? And we opted to, to come up with a, a plan that makes the population numbers in each ward within 1% of the average for the city. And 
as folks drive around town, you, you'll probably notice that there are some areas that are picking up people at a faster rate than others. And the census played that right out. There were wards that picked up several hundred people, and there were wards that, that had dropped by several hundred people from the average. So that all had to be accounted for. We made it as hard as possible by saying, let's make it within 1%. But again, that's to get the equity that we want to have in dividing up our wards. And when you say we, it was yourself and, and two fellow counselors on the ordinance committee because the council had delegated this role to the ordinance committee, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Councilor Williams and Councilor Cullen and I form the ordinance committee. We met uh, a number of times uh, throughout the year uh, to work on this, await the results. We really appreciate the, the planning department and then the deputy city manager, <laughs> Mr. Parker, for doing, I think, what you've done for the last two or three yeah, so census this is, periods. This is the third, third so, one that I've participated in. And uh, it's one of those times when I actually felt old uh, because no one else from the last two times was still here. So the, the city attorney, uh, Josh Wyatt, and the city clerk, Sue Mastretta, also were part of that team on the staff side to look at it and... It's an interesting exercise. I like the the problem solving aspect mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. getting that balance. I was one of the people that was like, "Of course, we're going to do one percent. Let's do the harder right, right. aspect um, because it, it's like playing Tetris. It's you know, how do you make the right. pieces fit a little bit more snug? And having to think or the ability to then think back to the two thousand census and the the very different process we used. Still with that 1%, but a lot more automated this time. Uh, Excel doing a lot more of the math than me hand-mathing it, which I always said I became a planner as opposed to an architect or an engineer because mathematics was not necessarily the highlight of my life. But enough about me. The the process, the ordinance committee, as you said, met quite a few times. And, and those meetings are in general... Open to the public and, yes, and yep, available. Yep, they're yep, recorded. They're all publicly they're... noticed meetings open. I mean, we did meet in the mornings for the most part, but we also had uh, we had one well advertised public meeting later in the evening, so folks who may not be able to make a you know an eight thirty start time could come in right in the middle of the process. So. One of the things that I think is almost as important as the one percent uh, derivation was. The ordinance committee was very clear that it wanted to improve the polling locations as well and make sure that as much as we had the opportunity to create lasting polling locations within each. I know that wasn't the guiding, wasn't the, it's a deal killer if it doesn't happen, right. but it was certainly something I thought you you were articulate about. Right. We, we had looked at each of the areas. There are some locations in, from past years that we had already gotten uh, feedback that there was concern about in terms of uh, pedestrian safety, vehicular safety, access to the area. And the decision was made that really, ideally, we should be voting in public buildings. And that goal was able to be realized with the exception of one area that they're all either in City of Dover buildings or in a school. Right. Uh, and the Hellenic Center remains the Ward 6 voting facility right. at this point. Uh, and for the listener, the Ward 1 is the Francis G. Hopkins Horn Street School. Ward 2 is the Dover Ice Arena. Ward 3 is the Woodman Park School. Ward 4 is Garrison School. Mm-hmm. Ward 5 is now the Dover Middle school. school. And then, as you said, Ward 6 is the uh, Hellenic Center. How did it feel voting somewhere else? You and I are in the same ward, and so... Uh, it, it did w- feel a little different. Because, uh, your, your nearest memories are always the strongest. I, I don't remember much. I mean, I remember voting in, and I think it was at Woodman Park for a little while for Ward 5. And obviously it was uh, St. John's for, for many years. Yeah. 
And we also, you know, we came to realize that we were inconveniencing them a little bit. They had asked us, hey, could you think about a different location? But, you know, it wasn't a demand. But we knew that we were really were intention to, to try and move from there. So. I think that one of the things that I noticed most about that move, and I think we, we see it at the arena as well, is it's much more accessible. Yes. Much more, much less crowded. The space that the church allowed us to use for a number of years was much appreciated and really served the need, mm-hmm. but there was a uh, a space need in that building. And yeah. so when there was a line, you were right on top of each other. Yeah. And I thought that uh, the middle school really resolved a lot of that concern. Yes, yes it did. Yeah, at, uh, at St. John's, if you had the combination of a, a contentious election, i.e. presidential, and bad weather, you know, you might have some people who might decide not to go vote, which is not, that's not what we want. We want the, the voting location to really encourage people to, to turn out in the middle school for Ward 5 and uh, as are the rest of the locations. They do that for, for the citizens. But it's up to us to, to make sure that they're fully aware of the changes. And I know uh, we've put out quite a bit of information on that. So folks do know right. where they need to go. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, my wife and I and, and uh, our son, that we all have different last names for a variety of reasons. And so we got three, three letters. And my son said to me, well, that's a waste. Should have just gotten one for all three of us. And I said, no, it's a, it's a privacy and it's mm-hmm. a, a voter recruitment mm-hmm. or encouragement thing. Your message needs to get to you just as the message needed to get to mom and it needed to get to me. It, it, it's important that the person who is actually passing, casting that ballot, that vote, knows that the, the location has changed. And I agree with you. I think we did a great job at the clerk's office. Yeah. Did Yeoman's work getting that information out? And really, it's it's just one more step in that process that started with the the ordinance committee being appointed and then doing its work and then going to the city council and having a, a workshop and, and drilling down into that information as well. And a quick note about the process. None of what we've done over the last year or so necessarily guarantees that we will continue to do it the same way for the next, for the 2030 census. And specifically, I'm talking about if it is intended and desired, we could restore the, the ward boundary descriptions back into the charter, or we could leave them in, in the ordinance. And I think that's something, you know, question that uh, the council is going to have to think about uh, right. uh, at some point, in a few years from now, when we may go, th- or not may, we will go through this again. Right. And I think some of our discussions about the data uh, show that there are areas that when the census was performed had not yet had the full development that right. occurred over the last you know, the last several months. So there are going to be changes, um, you know, how they how they lay out and who who gives and who takes. That's a that's a question to to be seen. Well, what's interesting to that point is. If you look back historically, and I looked back, I think, to like the 50s, and you see where some of these shifts have gone, and it truly, as you say, it tracks Mm -hmm. where the growth areas have been in the 50s and 60s as a result of Pease. There were a lot of housing developments in the the 6th Street area, uh, Morningside, which is the Garrison School area, these sort of outgrowths of the military at at the Pease Air Force Base or the the shipyard, and the the growth there directed some ward boundary changes. And then in the 80s, you saw a little bit more multifamily prop up. And so there were some changes there. And what what I was looking at when we made these suggested changes uh, that the ordinance committee took to the council was it's tweaks. There's, there's not as much wholesale. We're going to take this whole section of the city other than the big one, I would think, is using Toll End Road as a, a street right. separator and bringing 
as opposed to the um, Kachiko River, which had really separated five and six. I think that that's a, a good example of what you you should be thinking about when you redraw the boundaries is to identify, and I believe it's probably by state law to, to do so, that you identify landmarks, rivers, roads, if necessary. I mean, there are some, certainly some areas within Woods 5 and 6 that now are delineated by, you know, as you said, Tolan Road and Washington Road also has a, right. a delineation of, you know, people on the left-hand side or this ward and people on the right-hand side are that. Um, but as we discussed a few minutes ago, um, really went out of our way to make sure that every resident understood where he or she should be going to vote. And one thing that I think is important to note on the local level is that anyone elected to serve in office in 2021, regardless of where their ward boundaries ended up, because the the relocation of some of the boundaries occurred after the election, they are still serving in that capacity. Yes. Yep. And we'll do, do so through the end of their term. And I believe for the most part, we had very little, uh, very few of the elected officials ending up in a different ward. But the, in the case that did happen, it was, it was fairly clear that that, that was a, an important part of the reconfiguration is to, to include that. So, um, and that seems to have worked out well. Right. And the, the corollary to that is as you drill down and as we, we come up with as minimum impacts as possible, at the same time, there's an opportunity as you're identifying those boundaries mm-hmm. and uh, trying to identify landmarks, as you say, that you don't want neighborhoods to be bifurcated. And, and so that's always right. that challenge of yeah. Yeah. you want to make sure that uh, there's a cohesion. Mm-hmm. But at the bigger level, in in you can probably speak to this from a representative level. Most of what the council is looking at is citywide conversation. Right, right. What I found over the, the coming up on eight years that I've been on the council is that there are, there are some you know, Ward 5 specific issues, uh, whether it's a poor condition road, a pothole. The real meat and potatoes for what people want to hear about and want to talk about are the, offici- uh, the issues that affect the citywide. Taxes, uh, level of fire and police service, quality of recreation. Right. It, people really do look at that uh, pretty pretty widely. and right. You don't get a lot of, well, as my Ward 5 counselor, this is what needs to happen. It's, hey, I want to know about what's right for the city. So, so as the process continued, the ordinance committee then reported to the city council. The city council created an ordinance. And I, I think you, you uh, pointed out, before we started recording, that the the material the council got is is fairly detailed, continuing the idea that the public disclosure, the public transparency, was an important aspect of this. Can you speak a little to that? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we have set out to to get people involved as much as possible to to follow certainly the the rule of the statute as to public hearings that you have to have the involvement with the public. But in addition to that, folks might remember uh, when they got their ballot. A year ago, uh, it had a little little gravity to it. Uh, there were, I think, three pages mm. uh, because we also had uh, we were catching up with some changes that needed to be done on the charter. Generally, readability, grammatical reformatting, but it took you know it took the specification of each word that was changed to be listed on the ballot. So while that may seem to have been cumbersome, it allows the the voter to look down and see, okay, this is exactly what's being changed. And the same was true during the process to adopt the ordinance. 
where we had a first reading of the ordinance. Uh, we had a public hearing on it. We put out uh, a number of different areas, say, on the website where people could go for information. And, and even down to the uh, the resolution to adopt the ordinance itself has, it was, I think it's the, the resolution itself is 12 pages in length and includes several pages of background information that, you know, is down to the exact numbers that each ward was changing by the goal of it, the inclusion of the, the new polling places. So yeah, there was a lot of, lot of information available to the folks that wanted to, uh, to go get it and understand it before they voted, so, which is how we're supposed to do business, and we try and do it that way. Well, and I think that that was the, the theme, right? Starting with that 1% was to really reinforce that this is about the voter and about giving them the best opportunity to participate in their representative government. And, and it's fortunate that we can sit back and say, well, this is a nonpartisan process. You know, we are not trying to capture any particular party. Uh, city council seats are nonpartisan in nature. The intent of this whole process is to simply give each ward uh, an equivalent say in the business of the city by having uh, a councillor that represents essentially the same number of people. I think that's uh, that has worked out well, and I think we've got a we've got a good system in place today. Is there anything that you think the the listener should know about the process, or as they think ahead to the future, ten years from now, uh, be aware of in the process? Well, I think you know, ten years from now, uh, Excel will be so well so well advanced that you know. Chris Parker the fourth could uh, <laughs> could sit behind the keyboard and just say you know go do this. Uh, no, I I think the, the the lesson is get into the details, understand what you're doing, know what the process is early on. Attorney Wyatt gave us invaluable information about what needs to be done. What are the what are the the, the milestones that we have to hit at what time to be ready to to get the initial ballot question that transferred it to ordinance and then the development of the ordinance itself and the contents of it and what it needs to look like. So take your time, be thorough, understand what your what your goals are and then keep people involved. I think that's a, 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 as simple as it can get. Well, I appreciate you coming in and speaking to us about this and uh, walking us through the process that Ordinance Committee and the City Council use. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, Mr. Parker. Have a great day. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. On November 4th, 1999, one of the city's most dedicated volunteers, Earl Goodwin, was named as the New Hampshire Municipal Association's Outstanding Volunteer of the Year. He had been nominated by then-city manager Paul Beecher and chosen for more than 200 submissions. Goodwin said he was honored to receive the award, but it was far from the only recognition he received. Three years earlier, Goodwin was named Citizen of the Year by the Greater Dover Chamber of Commerce. Among the numerous projects for which he volunteered his time include the former Kachiko Waterfront Task Force and the relocation of the old River Street Public Works building and construction of a new facility on Mast Road. He was also well-known for his volunteer facilities work before and during the construction of the new middle school on Daly Drive. The school's gymnasium was named after him as a result. Goodwin was also a longtime proponent of the city's recycling efforts and was instrumental in launching Dover's bag and tag program. The recycling center on Mass Road still bears his name. Goodwin, who served one term as a county commissioner and three terms as a state representative, also worked with the committee that oversaw the construction of Stratford County's new jail. A veteran of the Air Force, having served as an air traffic controller in England from 1943 to 1945, Goodwin's presence in the community and his commitment to the community began as soon as he returned from the war. 
1960, he opened Goodwin's Stationery in downtown Dover, which grew into Goodwin's office furniture and supplies on Littleworth Road. Goodwin was also known for his tireless campaign to save the former pedestrian footbridge that crossed the Kachiko River from Washington Street to River Street. When the bridge was removed to make way for a new vehicular bridge, the Maycomb Bridge, Goodwin advocated for using the footbridge at a waterfront park. The Save Our Bridge Committee was spearheaded by Goodwin and raised funds to try and save the bridge. Although the committee was not able to raise enough funding and support to save the bridge, which was eventually sold to Belmont, Goodwin was recognized for his efforts, including by the city council in 2013 when the bridge was sold. Earl Goodwin's volunteerism in Dover never wavered. In 2004, he received the prestigious Rotary International Paul Harris Fellow Award and, in 2007, the Spirit of New Hampshire Volunteer Award. That commitment to his community continued until 2015 when Goodwin passed away. His legacy, though, and his example continue. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Download's email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Have a great week.